0: Welcome to the Ethnos New Brunswick Podcast. Today, we will be hearing stories from Jenny, Yasmina, Justin, Reggie, Sky, Jose, and Chris. And to put all of their stories into context, we will have Yukon starting us off.
1: Like I mentioned, this Sunday is a unique Sunday because it is a Sunday we call Story Sunday here at Ethnos. It's a Sunday where we actually open up the microphone up front, So that we as a community can share with each other about what has been going on in our lives, what God has been doing, how we have been learning and growing and being different as a community, being changed as a community. Now. We understand, of course, that in a community like ours, uh, not everyone is fully on the same page yet with belief in God or belief in Jesus. Our musicians sort of mentioned that, hey, if some of you believe in Jesus, that's great. These songs will be relevant. Others, you're still on a journey trying to figure out, that's great. Engage with us still. The same here with story time. Uh, we recognize that some of you here, as you are, uh, may have a story to share, you may not feel like you're quite there yet in belief. That's totally cool. Your spirituality, you're still trying to get it figured out, no problem we'd love to hear from you. Others of you feel like, yo, I got this figured out, and God and Jesus have done something powerful in my life. That's great, too. We want to hear from you. Uh, This is meant to be a safe space, a place where we can share our stories with each other. Now, why do we do this, of course, every Sunday? Well, there are some scriptures from Jesus That direct us in how we think about this. And I want to just put one of them on the screen here for us this morning because I think it'll help orient us to what this Sunday is about. Jesus, when he was here some 2,000 years ago, talked about how we were supposed to care for each other as a community, how we were supposed to carry each other's burdens, how we were supposed to love each other, And so this scripture says that. It says this, dear brothers and sisters, notice we're using the language of family here. If someone is overcome by some sin, some sort of evil in their lives, you who are spiritual, now this isn't saying you who are better than, but you who are spiritual, the idea is you who are in touch with God, full of God's spirit, you who are spiritual should gently and humbly Help that person back onto the right path. Share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ, which is in the context, the law of love. And so we think it's important here uh, to do this in all sorts of ways uh, at ethnos. We do this in our weekday gatherings. We do this uh, in different service teams and all kinds of things. But we think it's important on a a Sunday like this, to do that as well. And so here, Story Sunday, we want to give the space for you to share your stories. They could be good stories. They could be difficult stories, uh, stories like the one uh, Jenny started us off with here this morning. Whatever it is, uh, here are some guidelines as to how this time will be. We're going to open up the mic. We're going to let you come up here. Uh, We want to encourage you to keep your story to about three minutes, uh, this is not a time to gossip or throw people under the bus, so please don't use it to do that, although some of your story may involve some pain. We, we do want to hear for that, but we ask that you, you try your best to, to be wise and not you know spend your time up here throwing people under the bus. And we do invite you to focus on God, on the, the one who is at work in our community sharing your, sh- as, as you share your story. Again, some of you may not quite believe in God yet, and you're you're on that path, uh, we'd love to hear from you too, okay? All right, so to get us started for this unique Sunday, uh, I've actually invited some people to consider, hey, would you be willing to share your story? Could you get ready just to get the ball rolling? You know who you are. I'm not going to call you out, but I'm going to invite us uh, to just start coming up and start sharing our stories. There will probably be moments of awkward silence. That's okay. Get used to it. but hopefully not too much, okay? And again, we're going to, we, we don't have like all day, so if you have something to share, don't be like, oh, we'll just oh, I'll be the last one. No, there, there are probably 10 of you thinking you'll be the last one, and not all 10 of you will be the last one. Okay, we're, we do have to cut it off at a certain point, all right? All right, so with that being said, uh, I'm going to open it up. Here's Story Sunday.
0: Warning to listeners, this first story includes topics of sexual violence and rape. If you would like to skip this story, please jump ahead to the 18-minute mark. Do
2: I keep it on? Okay, cool. Okay, cool. Um, I thought I'd be the first one because I might as well just get it out of the way. Uh, <laughs> uh, but um, when. Asking God what he wanted me to share this morning, I, well, yesterday, um, I felt myself, like, kind of fighting with him a little bit because um, the story I'm about to tell is a story that I thought I wasn't ready to tell yet. Um, and it was and it was difficult to see how wh- or why God wanted me to share my story, um, but after a lot of prayer and a lot of just... Meditating, I've realized that um, it's a story that has made me stronger and a story that can be um, helpful to a lot of other people that might go through things similar like this. Um, So just a warning, it is um, kind of a difficult story to listen to, and if at any moment you feel like it's too difficult, feel free to step out or step back, Uh, and everybody's on a different journey I understand that other people have different triggers, and so I wanna be mindful of that as well. Um, but the story that I'll be sharing today is actually my sexual abuse story um, and how God kind of was already tied into that from the beginning. Um, so um, when I was 12 years old, um, I, we, I used to hang around a lot with my family, my entire family, uncles, aunts. And so what would happen was that um, my mom's sister had just recently got married to this man. Um, And this man seemed very nice and very genuine at first, and very caring and very concerned for the well-being of others. Um, And uh, there was one instance where he kind of, we were driving, he was driving me back to my mom's house because I had gone to visit my aunt alone. um, And he was asking me if I knew anything about what my body was and how my body worked. And I told him that I didn't. Um, And so he, proceeded to touch me inappropriately um, and then kept asking me if I felt anything. And at the time I said no, that I didn't feel anything. And so he just kind of laughed and left it aside. I remember bringing up that incident to my mom um, and my mom saying that she talked to my aunt and my aunt said that it wasn't true. And that kind of closed that story Um, and it was left aside for a while. Um, And then two years passed and I was in um, seventh grade going into eighth grade and I remember um, we had started going into this church, and all of my family had started going together. And after being there for a while, he had asked me if I, I was playing the viola at that time, um, and he had asked me if I wanted to consider start practicing with the worship team to see if I could become a permanent part of the worship team. Um, and so I remember like, the drives there, would get more and more creepy as time went by, and I think, like one in one instance, um, he was driving back. We had finished up practice, and he drove um, to a parking lot, which was far away. And I remember being confused and not knowing why we were here and why I wasn't going home. Um, and and he proceeded to basically molest me um, for I think around half an hour. And then after he dropped me off at my mom's house and I remember feeling confused and feeling um, kind of dazed because this time I did feel something, but that feeling that I was feeling didn't feel right and it felt disgusting. Um, and so there were two more instances after that. And in the third instance, he actually ended up um, raping me. And I remember going and watching my mom, and my mom would notice, notice that my mood changed a lot. And she would ask, hey, are you okay? Like, what's going on? And it was a pivotal point in my life because I had just lost my dad two years earlier, and I had, my stepfather had suffered a construction accident. I left him handicapped, and so my mom would go to work for us, and I became, um, I guess, a mother figure in my household. And so it all happened at the same time. And so I I didn't want to tell my mom because my mom was working um, her butt off, and I didn't want to put that on her. Um, and at the time, that's how I saw it. I don't want to put my problems on top of her, even though my problem was very serious at the time, but I kind of undermined it for the same reason. Um, And so I remember the day where I couldn't hold it anymore, and I told my mom um, what had happened. And I remember her first reaction was, well, like, why didn't you tell me before? Is that because you liked it? And why didn't didn't you tell any of us? And I remember that reaction kind of setting me back and making me feel like I had done something wrong, um, that I had exposed something that wasn't meant to be exposed and that it was my fault that I had let him touch me. Um, and so after that, um, my mom went through a process, even though she was kind of hesitant, she told me to keep it quiet. Um, and this is, my mom has a very similar story. And so I understand that at the moment, she didn't, ha- she didn't know what to do to help me because the way that she had, be taught, had been taught to handle those things is the way that she taught me how to handle those things. And so I had known. Yeah, I don't blame my mom for what she did. Um, just want to clarify that really quick. Um, but um, So I kept on the low, and I remember talking to my... Uh, I had gotten into this pit of depression. I had um, expressed suicidal thoughts to my social worker, and I had to get a risk assessment done, and I ended up having in-home therapy for a while. Um, and I remember telling my... Uh, counselor about it without knowing that if you tell a social worker and it's something that hasn't been reported, it has to be reported. Um, And I remember her asking me if I had reported it and I said no. And we were walking around like drinking something and so she didn't say anything until she was driving me back home and she was like, I need to report this. As um, under New Jersey law, if I don't report this, then I'm at fault, right? And so my mom, when my mom heard that I had to, but that. the therapist had to report it. My mom's first reaction was like, well, if that's what you want to do, then you can go ahead and do that. And so um, right from the beginning, it was very alone. Um, and I think af- like, my aunt who was married to this man was in Mexico taking care of my grandma- grandmother. Um, and so when all of this had started happening, um, my, out of the eight people in my family, only two of them believed me. And the others called me crazy, told me that, especially because I had gone through the suicidal um, problem and I had therapy, they called me crazy, told me that I needed to be in a mental institution, that something was wrong with me, that if I, like, why didn't I say anything sooner? And the same words of like, it was because I liked it and because I didn't want to expose him. Um, And so now (laughs) I've gone through a journey of I went through a journey of not knowing where God fit into that because for a while, for a couple of years, I felt like I lived in that man's world. I, I didn't; He didn't live in my world. I lived in his. And so if I would walk around and lo- see a car that looked any bit similar to what his looked like, I would panic. I want to run. I want to hide, go into the store and maybe wait for it to leave. Um, and and. It was just difficult to live and even cross the street where he lived, I felt like I had to stay in the car and I couldn't get out because I was gonna get hurt. Um, And so through that, I had pushed that aside for two years. I, when we went to go complain and uh, talked about registering it and seeing if I wanted to press any charges, I said no. Um, Because I was worried that my cousins who were currently staying with this man were gonna be taken away from him and that they were gonna be in foster care. I cared more about other people than I cared for myself at the time. Um, and so again, I pushed it back and I didn't do anything about it and I left it like that. Um, but I think after a while I realized that it had such a big control of my life that random these random memories would pop into my head and take over whatever I was doing and just push me down that I realized that I don't wanna give him that power anymore. Um, maybe I didn't do anything legally, but he had a power over me that nobody should have over me. Um, and so after going to therapy, in that time, it was also when I met God, right? And I remember God coming into that and me not wanting to bring him into that situation. Because for me, that was a situation that I had to leave behind. And I needed to be clean for God to take care of me. And I didn't realize that God want like... He wasn't there to look at like how sparkling and clean I was. He wanted to clean me and take care of me and love me. Um, and so um, I think the first time I kind of came to God and I just cried. And I cried straight, I think, for like 30 minutes. And I just basically asked God to take the power that that man had over my life. Um, and even just with that, I remember my next therapy appointment was I had to say his name, and I couldn't say his name for, I it was I couldn't say it because I felt like my throat was sealed shut, and if I said it, it was like I was saying a curse word, and I couldn't say it. Um, and when I finally said it, it gave me this freedom that I continue to live with um, to this day, and God has been working in that situation ever since, and God has taught me um, that, it isn't my fault, and it wasn't my fault, and that it never was my fault, um, and that I, my talents, my musical talents, my innocence, uh, my, I guess, my being naive, it was all taken advantage of, but he doesn't get to keep that forever. Um, And so I think, um, now, I'm kind of on this journey with God where God is teaching me how to love myself and how to love my body for what it is and not what it can provide. Yeah. Um, and so I've been learning to love myself piece by piece, and it's a hard journey, um, but being in love with God makes it so much easier because I can't, I don't depend on my own strength. Because if I had to love myself based on what I have, of the ideas that I have in my head for myself, I would never be satisfied with who I'll end up being. And so um, yeah, I just thank God that he's been working in my life and that now um, I'm going into this next stage of my life where I'm actually working on pressing charges that I should have pressed um, back then. And so I think I feel more confident going in knowing that no matter how shaky this gets, no matter how many people believe me, don't believe me, God knows. And that's all I n that's all I that's all I need to trust in and confide in. So thank you.
3: I think I still need a moment
2: to...
3: It's exciting to get to have Story Sunday again. Um, I remember last year thinking, oh, I don't really feel like I have anything to share, but when it came up, uh, I forgot that we do this every year, and I was like, oh, I think I have something to share. So I decided I would do so. Um, For those of you who might not know me, I'm Yasmina and I wrote this all down because my memory is, my speaking skills are not as great as Jenny's. (laughs) Um, So over the last few months, uh, God has rearranged quite a few things uh, in my life in a pretty amazing way. Um, And all of the pieces and aspects of that, um, all the pieces that have led to this point Uh, have affirmed for me that um, God does want to speak to us personally. Um, And I didn't always believe that. For the longest time, um, I had... For the longest time, I thought that, um, you know, people who heard God were, you know, those people that had that spiritual gift, like it says in the Bible, like there's different spiritual gifts. Um, And so... I thought, okay, well, maybe then if I'm not hearing anything, then I just don't have that gift, and then it's for other people and not in my life. Um, But I started reading this book called Hearing God by Benjamin Dixon, which, by the way, is on the free resource table in English and Spanish. Um, That's where I got it. Um, And that changed things for me, because as I was reading it, it said that, you know, It's God wants to speak to everyone. It's not just uh, a spiritual gift, but how can you hear God if you're not trying to listen or don't learn how to? Um, How can we hear God uh, when he's speaking to us if we don't know what his voice sounds like? Uh, So I started to pray more, started to pray again, uh, because I had been in a season of not really being involved or praying or um, anything like that. So fast forward, this was all like last year when I started reading this book. So fast forward to May this year, um, and I felt that God was starting to speak a little bit louder uh, between prayer team to prayers of people that I didn't even know who prayed over me through the series we just did on Abraham and his story. Um, Even the music I was listening to, the book I had just finished reading, everything, Um, was in agreement, and a lot of things were, you know, either offering similar encouragement or, you know, praying the same thing over me. Um, And it was so much all at once that it was, you know, okay, something's happening here. Um, God was clearly getting my attention in a way that I hadn't experienced before. Um, So many of you know that I had started a job in Brooklyn back in March, Um, and a few months into that, I, I felt that the, the plan that I had set out to pursue and accomplish wasn't really working out. Um, and the goals I had initially set out to accomplish weren't going to be fulfilled uh, through that. Um, I was operating in survival mode, much like Abraham did, uh, making choices out of a place of fear and trying to be in control. Um, so just like Abraham, I had forgotten that God had a plan for me. So it's funny to notice how many parallels there have been between my story and Abraham's. Um, even the, the friend who helped me get that job, his name is Isaac. <laughs> so, lo and behold, I've left that job. Um, so that series of events that has brought, me to, has brought me to a place where I still have what I need, uh, but I'm in a better position to accomplish my goals and have room for what else God might be calling me to do. Uh, so the takeaway that I'd like to leave you guys with, uh, the lessons that I've learned, um, is that God is thinking of you specifically. He has a plan for you. Um, he will always provide. I keep having to be retaught that lesson, uh, <laughs> and God wants to speak to you specifically. So just you know, spending time learning to listen um, is important.
4: That's classic, huh? Is that a great moment or what? Um, I was just sitting here thinking, you know, I should share a little bit of a bio, before, you know, so you guys hear poetry, you don't really know too much of who I am and my history and my story. Um, and the reason why I brought my son up here, he's my primary motivating factor for what I do what I do. He's my reason why. Um, and um, three years ago, I, I couldn't say that I was that focused to have that. Um, I was locked up. For a violation of restraining order, um, I just couldn't stop smoking marijuana, couldn't stop drinking vodka, and um, as a result, my actions were detrimental to myself, my son, and my and my you know you know current ex-wife. Um, but it was the best thing that could ever happen to me because uh, while I was locked up, I was faced with situations that I'm not a gangster, I'm not a thug, and I I can't I'm not gonna go there with you. So I rather put my table to my legs and go be the person that my mommy and daddy raised me to be and I went and read my Bible. And um, the next morning after being threatened by this particular inmate, um, he was transferred out and I knew that was God. But then they put another guy in and he was another one. I was like, man. <laughs> and, he, and he told the CEOs, they say, listen, if you don't get Justin out of this cell, I'm gonna scrape the floor with him. And I knew what that meant. So again, CO, please. They said, quiet, yeah, you're fine. So I didn't know what I was going to do. So being my little buck 40, this dude was like 220, I started preparing the way I knew how. you know. I put stuff in a sock and all this crazy stuff in case I had to defend myself. And um, finally, again, I, I remember yelling out the, the cell, CO, CO, I need you to get me out of here. He's going to scrape the floor with me. And um, finally they came and, and they, 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 they got me out. And when they packed up all my bags and I was walking down the tier, all the guys were like, oh, you coward, you punk, eh, and I just, whatever, I'm, I'm out. I didn't know where they were bringing me. And I had i had put in a request for a single cell for months. I stayed for six months because I wanted to get into a program. They were gonna release me after two weeks, but I told my public defender, I need a program. I can't stop smoking marijuana, I can't stop drinking, and I'm dual diagnosed, bipolar, post-traumatic stress. I need a program. He said, are you sure? That means going back to jail for at least six months until the bed opens up. I said, yes, I'm sure. He said, are you positive? I said. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure, um, and that was the first time, I, and I think that I was really honest with myself and someone else. Um, so anyway, long story short, they put me in my in a single cell, and I'll never forget it. It was cell number nine, and when I walked in, the light in the cell was so bright. I heard that, ah, you know, like on TV. <laughs> I knew, I knew it was God. I, I just, I just knew. You know, sometimes we we just know. You know, we have that, inter- that internal knowing. I just knew. And that's when I started getting into my prayer habits. Um, It was because I was finally in a single cell. So I got released on February 5th, which was his fifth birthday. They put me into the program, and I I, we had a restraining order. But I asked the guys, and I said, "Listen, can I call my son's mother and just say happy birthday to my son?" He said, "Yeah, come on into this little office over here, but just don't tell anybody." Again, I knew it was God. I got him on the phone, and we just we've been connected ever since. Um, That was when I I was in Connecticut, too, by the way, um, because I left Jersey. And then I'll just end by saying this. My father, on his 70th birthday, my sister was saying, Justin, we're having a surprise party for Dad. Now, I hadn't seen him in a year and a half. <laughs> um, and I got to the house, and she was like, come in, come in. So I'm like, I'm in. I'm in the living room. How far do you want me to go into this party? And I see my family all around, and I finally walk into the living room, and around the corner comes him and his mom. It was the first time I'd seen each other in about a year and a half. And I just ran over to him, I picked him up, and he just put his head on my shoulder like, it, like we had never um, separated. And that was a big turning moment for me because now I had my son back in my life. I had the opportunity to be the father and role model that my parents had taught me to be. And um, last year, um, November 26, I was awarded full residential custody. Um, he's been living with me ever since. And um, we're good, right? Now, Amiri, his name, um, I didn't know at the time when I picked his name, uh, but I was working in a Montessori school when I was 24 years old. I was an assistant teacher. And one of the students' names that I had to monitor, his name was Amairi. And his demeanor as a student in person, I always said, if I ever had a child, I'm going to name him after this kid. Not Justin. I'm going to name him <laughs> after this kid. And, <laughs> and um, so when he was born, we, we picked the name. And then I looked it up, because now I'm starting to get into words and stuff, and found out that it's Arabic. And it means leader, ruler, and prince. I had no idea. So I always tell him, what are you? He's like, I'm a leader, ruler, and a prince. (laughs) So, So, you know, um, my parents forced us to go to church as kids. We were raised Roman Catholic. We were altar boys and all this stuff. And I didn't like going to church, but I'm grateful that they instilled that foundation in us because it made me curious. It made me question. It made me want to know who's God, what is God. And as I got older and started to do my own little reading, you know, especially the Bible, I have an understanding of who the creator and who God is for me. And with Jesus as my light and my leader, it led me into so many other great things. And now we're together, we're bonded, and the sky's the limit for both of us. He's also a writer and a poet. He's working on some music as well. He has his goals listed. He wants to be a professional BMX rider. He wants to be an NFL all-star, an NBA all-star, um, a police officer. And what's the other one? Oh, singing and dance, a rapper, yeah, 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 a rapper. <laughs> so he has, he has five career goals, I have one. Thank you guys, thank you UConn for your time.
5: So, it's a higher. There you go. There it is. Uh, Thanks. Uh, so, UConn wanted me to talk to you guys a little about what's going on at reentry. Um, so, one story I got. Um, also, want to so shout out to Miss Deb because she comes with me every Tuesday and Thursday to reentry. So, uh, I just want to give her a shout out. Um, so, we've been going since since February, and basically what we do, we're there from like nine to nine thirty. And we just want to go there and just encourage the people that are there. And sometimes it's a really good time. We have good conversations with people. And then sometimes it's like you don't really do much. Sometimes there's not a lot of people there. And, um, or some people are not really talkative or receptive. So um, some, some, good, some weeks is really good and some weeks it's really slow at the same time. Um, and I remember probably in the summer, I was like, ah, I don't know how much I want to continue to doing this. It's kind of more of like a chore than something I really enjoy doing. But I was like, I'm going to continue to go, I'm going to continue to go. Um, so I went and had a really good conversation with somebody. I was like, okay, this, this is what a good purpose here. I like doing this. And then the next week, um, I met someone. Um, a guy, his name is Herb, he has been sitting over there the past couple weeks. He's not here. He's visiting his family in Virginia. But um, So I sat next to him, and we just sparked a conversation, and it was a really good conversation. And he was kind of just telling me about um, his upbringing and um, how he was just, just recently incarcerated, and he was kind of telling me, some of the things that he wished he learned when he was inside, or things that they wished that they taught him, and I just felt like a really good connection there. So we were just kind of talking, and so like my pastor growing up back home, he um, he used to go as a chaplain to the into the prisons, and um, his name's like Malachi Brantley. So I'm talking to to Herb, and he's like, yeah, like one of the, one of the chaplains I was really close with. His last name is Brantley. And I was like, is his first name Malachi? And he's like, yeah. I was like, I'm like, yo, that's my pastor. Like, I've known that guy since I was like eight years old. And we were kind of, um, so that was just a cool connection that we had. And um, we just had a really good conversation talking with each other. And then I invited him to Ethnos. To I think, uh, the following week. And then I wasn't there, but then he came. And then he came the next week and the next week. And then he's actually started coming to our uh, our Monday MC. He came once to that. Um, so... It's just really cool to see how, how God worked and God connects there. Um, it was 100% worth it just for someone to find a church home for me to go in every week, even though sometimes I go there and it's, um, I feel like no one wants to really talk. But for someone to find a church home and someone to get some encouragement, it's 100% worth it. So, um, yeah, that's my story.
0: Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Sky. Uh, so let me start by just saying a little bit about myself. I think uh, I've been here for since the beginning of the year, but I think I haven't gotten a chance to talk to everyone yet and to, to really say a little bit about myself. So um, let me first start by saying that I've been going to church since I was uh, probably four or five years old. And so I've been you know, familiar with you know, the stories in the Bible, you know, how to pray and you know, things about God. But I felt like for me, it was more of like more academic, more of like learning the, reading about the Bible like it was like a history book, and just see, being able to recite different parts of the Bible to understand stories that, that happened, and things didn't really start clicking until actually after my college years when life really started picking up, and I had to be more of an adult and you know had to uh, make, make some very difficult decisions and so Um, And so this kind of ties in very closely with some of the the messages and the conversations that that we've been having here over the past few Sundays in terms of recognizing when God gives us a gift and what we should do with it. And so, uh, you know, for me, when people ask me, you know, what has God gifted you or what what gifts did God provide to you? And usually there's a lot of very simple, very, you know, very uh, immediate answers that come to mind. God has given me a place to sleep at night, has given me some clothes. I'm able to, uh, you know, I, I, I was able to get through school. Um, but recently, uh, I, I had this thought that, you know, God has surrounded me with a lot of great people who can support me in ways that I wouldn't be able to do otherwise. And so, um, you know, I, and so to, uh, in, in terms of, a lot of the things that I was able to accomplish on my own, say like you know at school or, or growing up as a kid, those are things you can do you know by yourself. but there's a whole bunch of other things that I ran into growing up you know after college uh, and, and beyond, uh, where it really takes conversations of other people to really get through a lot of difficulties and so for me, and this is actually you know the, the reason why I wanted to, to share my story today, um, the I felt that God has gifted me with uh, someone who was really meaningful to me for the past you know, two or so years. Um, and it was truly a gift in the sense that I did not know what I was doing. I didn't know what I was you know, really searching for in my life. And you know, I came across her during a, a Christian fellowship you know, at school and you know, we, we were able to uh, confide in each other, have conversations with each other, and, you know, I felt that, you know, she was truly a gift from God, a beautiful gift, someone who was genuine, someone who was very loving, and someone who deeply cared about the people around her. And so, you know, we were able to forge a dating relationship, uh, you know, in the Kim uh, years. And uh, to make a long story short, you know, I viewed her as a gift that God has given me. And in line with, you know, some of the the messages that we've been hearing over the past Sundays, there are times when God also asks us to surrender a gift back to God. And so uh, for me, you know, to make a long story short, we had some conversations. We prayed about what is it like for God to to enable us to make an impact in his kingdom and to glorify his name in that fashion. And so... uh, you know, we, we prayed a lot about what it meant to surrender our relationship to God and to have him mold us in ways where we can serve his kingdom better, perhaps as separate individuals as opposed to a, a married couple. And so, uh, you know, initially I was very resistant and very hesitant to kind of go through with this, but I think after a lot of prayer and a lot of talking with other people, we've realized that there are moments when God really calls us to step outside of our comfort zone and to really go out there and make a difference in, in, you know, in his kingdom and to serve other people and to serve people that you wouldn't have otherwise encountered if you were just in your comfort bubble or in your little zone. And so you know, after some prayer, you know, we prayed together. You know, and we decided that we should relinquish what we currently have to God so that he can transform us to take the next step and to uh, serve you know, other communities, other people. And so that's pretty much where I am now today. Um, and you know, I think there's, there's pretty much two takeaways that were really able to help me uh, stay encouraged and to kind of stay on, on track during this period of uncertainty and, uh, and, uh, yeah, and, and, and a bit of mourning. Uh, so one is, you know, a lot of my prayers, even during what the period when we were together, were, were somewhat very, you know, the, the questions I asked God were very biased in terms of what can I do to save this? Or what can I do to remain happy? Hmm. And what I realize is that, you know, when we pray to God or ask God questions about these types of, uh, uh, these types of, uh, along these lines, uh, God answers them uh, in a way where he answers the question we would have asked if we knew everything that God knows. Mm. And so that's something that was very humbling for me because I always felt that you know, uh, if I have X, Y, and Z, I'll be able to do all of these things and I'll be granted all of these privileges and, uh, and, um, you know, and, and feelings of happiness in the world. But in reality, God is someone who, you know, who truly knows, who has that omniscient view of the world and uh, is someone who you know uh, you know who, who intervenes in life in ways to further you know his plan in his kingdom and so that was something in my mind that was very encouraging and so uh, before I take a seat let me just share one other encouraging uh, story that was um, shared by someone uh, to me um, and it, it comes from uh, some, someone I've, I've, I've met in, in the past. And it was a story from Elizabeth Elliot, who is a missionary. And uh, in one of her books, uh, you know, she tells this story of a king who was strolling down the village streets to greet you know, the people under his rule. And among those people was a beggar who was sitting nearby and he saw the king and he figured that you know, if this, if I were able to go by the roadside and perhaps hold out my hand or my alms bowl, the king will surely provide a handsome donation or to be able to provide something for me. And so that's what the beggar did. The beggar went to the side of the street, knelt on the floor, and held up his alms bowl, expecting that the king will put some money or, 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 or you know, do something to, uh, to, uh, to, to bless him. But uh, to his surprise, the king didn't do that, and the king said instead, oh, uh, give me something. And so the beggar was, you know, w- was taken aback a little bit and you know, was a little bit in shock, saying, why, why, why is the king asking me for something if I'm clearly in a lower position? But eventually he, um, you know, he decided to comply, and so he reached into his, his bowl and, and, you know, and, and pulled out three grains of rice and then put it in the king's uh, open hand. And then the king went along his way, and then at the end of the day, the beggar emptied out his alms bowl to you know see what he received during the day, and to his surprise, he saw three pieces of pure gold there. And so you know uh, when he realized that you know the, the king mysteriously just slipped that in his bowl during that exchange, you know he, he he realized that, and then he you know he he looked up and you know he said, oh if. I could only have given him everything that I had. And so, I'll leave that thought with you. Thank you all.
4: Mm. Hello
6: everyone, good morning. So my name is Jose, and I have a story about who, you, who should you trust for your safety and protection. Um, I wanted to begin with a verse from Ephesians. Uh, this is chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. And it says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for doing the right things or for good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For a long time in my life, I've been very thankful for uh, public transportation, right? Uh, Getting places, getting to work, getting to internships, getting to school. Uh, New New Jersey Transit has been an amazing blessing for me. Uh, Subways have been a blessing for me. And um, with uh, public transportation, obviously there's always that concern that when you're walking home from na- at night, it's uh, late in the day. Um, you might be a little bit concerned about your safety. Uh, it's just normal, right? Uh, there are security security issues uh, sometimes in, in cities. It's just part of life. And so for about 10 years on and off, I would take public transportation. and um, I never really had any issues. I never really had any problems. Uh, um, and then, um, about a year ago, I uh, I moved to New Brunswick a, a year and two months ago, and I started driving to work. Um, I, I uh, started using my car, and I felt almost like I had won a victory, like now I don't need to take the train, I don't need to, um, uh, engage in all these long walks home at night uh, after work. I felt like I had won, like Jose, you're a champion, now you <laughs> drive to work, and you don't have to worry about any of these issues. Um, a month and a half after starting to drive to work, it was uh, 6 a.m. in the morning, and um, it was right before I was gonna wake up to go to work. Um, there, I, I heard a loud bang in my apartment building, and it was the police. They said, uh, police, police, open up. It wasn't my apartment, it was my neighbor's. Uh, but they broke into the apartment. They, they brought a very loud dog. He was barking. It was like a very fierce animal. Um, I looked outside my window. Uh, there were people with automatic weapons, um, uh, bulletproof vests on. Um, after I left my apartment and to go to work, uh, I counted there had to be like 10 to 15 like law, law enforcement people uh, looking very serious with their guns. There were like five different types of vehicles, um, SUVs, uh, cars, there was a van. Well apparently one of my neighbors was engaged in uh, pretty serious uh, illegal business and they raided the apartment. Um, and. I, it occurred to me that here I am uh, thinking that i 'm so safe uh, in my bed, uh, driving to work, champion um, <laughs> and and then all of a sudden, in my own apartment building there 's a raid going on, and i 'm surrounded by law enforcement people, and the door that was broken in was just like a couple of feet away from like my bed because it 's an apartment building where we 're living close to each other, and I really it really did feel. Like the gentleman, the poet was saying, I'm not sure who he is. That really did feel like it was a message from God. Um, And he was telling me, Jose, uh, you don't protect yourself. I protect you. You think you're safe? I'll send a raid to your apartment. You're not safe. (laughs) Um, And so uh, after that experience, I felt much humbler. I felt that, yes, we need to do things that are common sense to protect ourselves. But ultimately, we don't protect ourselves, God does.
1: Um, we are running late, uh, but that's Story Sunday. This is how it goes, is awesome stuff. Um, we will give space for one more story. One more story here. Chris, I see you walking up. Chris, let's give it up for Chris. <laughs>
7: So uh, my mom grew up in a small country called Slovakia. It was under the Soviet Union uh, regime at the time, uh, and the town she lived in was called Chandal. Very small, about 200 people, one dirt road, uh, and her and her family were essentially farmers. <laughs> That's what they did. Uh, her father uh, was a, a raging alcoholic, abusive, uh, and she came to America when she was 20 years old uh, with a suitcase and $200. Um, married my dad, who lived in America, and, uh, and had me. Um, I remember her telling these stories of what it's like living in that country, um, you know, late at night before going to bed, you know, bedtime stories of some sorts. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, she, she would have, a, you know, this beautiful, um, like, animated Bible that she would read to me, but then equally so, besides the Bible, she would also talk about success and, like, what it is to have that American dream and what it, it meant to her, but it was almost kind of disillusioned me into some sense because it was all about money and making sure that you're able to provide for the family and make enough money um, to, to not only take care of myself, but also take care of her. And I remember as a little kid, I would draw like a nice little, like, little, you know, I was terrible at art, but I would draw this like mansion and like a little cottage that, you know, she, her and her my father would live in. <laughs> and that's, that was my mindset for the longest time was, I need to make so much money so I can take care of my entire family. So fast forward, going into college, I always wanted to go into psychology, either become a psychologist or, or just find, find ways to help people in any way, uh, shape, or form. And I remember my dad telling me, Chris, there's no money to be made in this major. Um, you should look for something else. I don't want to see you poor. I don't want to see you broke and depressed. So I actually, for one semester, decided to major in human resources. And I'm like, whoa, like, what am I doing? I, I didn't even know what it was. I didn't even know what the major was. I lasted, <laughs> I, I lasted one semester. Thankfully, I didn't take a single class in it. I realized I'm like, I, I, and if anyone is in HR, I apologize, but I'm like, I'm just a snitch at the end of the day. Like, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a corporate snitch. So, <laughs> I ended up majoring in, uh, in finance because I enjoyed it. And I knew there was good money in it. So, fast forward to you know, graduation time. Uh, I was top of my class. Ended up um, getting a job uh, with the biggest asset management firm in the, in the world, uh, BlackRock. And I, I thought I had made it. I mean, I saw my salary. I saw everything. I was like, this is incredible. It's a gift from God. This is exactly where I need to be. This is, like, m- my life is planned. It's, it's completely set out. And, you know, within six months, um, I've never been so depressed, so disappointed <laughs> in my entire life. Um, I, I realized none of it was satisfying. Um, and and what, I, what I realized, even equally more so, is. Um, Everyone is broken in some way, and everyone has their own problems of some sort. It doesn't matter if you're in the bottom of, of you know, um, your ecuoso- uh, you know, social status or, or wealthy. Um, the wealthy are just easier at hiding it because they have more things that they can buy and they can, and, and they can you know, uh, stand behind. Um, so fast forward again another, you know, about three weeks ago, uh, I got into a car accident with my cousin, um, going about 45 miles an hour, a rear-ended car, uh, spun out 180 degrees, went to the opposite lane, and somehow, magically, you know, only one scratch. Um, could have gotten Tebow, and so much could have happened. Uh, and it was a wake-up call for me, honestly. I felt that God was really calling me to change my life around, because I'm not happy. The money's not satisfying. Well, how am I glorifying him? I'm doing nothing that he wants me to do at the end of the day. And I realized this is the moment to change. There's a reason why I came out to live in this area. There's a reason why I found Ethnos. Uh, and I'm just blessed. I'm blessed. I feel like for the first time in a really long time, I'm where I'm supposed to be. Thank you. That's gonna
1: Wow, what a Sunday, huh? Yeah. Let's give it up again for just everyone who shared their stories. Thank you. Um, we're not going to close as we usually do. We're not going to have the music team come up. Uh, we're not going to have prayer time. Uh, we just don't have enough time for that. So, so I apologize, musicians. Uh, that was not planned for us. Thank you. Sorry for that. Um, but, you know, again, why we do this is because, like we mentioned earlier in the scriptures of Jesus, uh, we are meant to care for each other. We are meant to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. That's something that comes directly from the scriptures of Jesus. And so thank you for taking this moment as a community to listen, to laugh, to rejoice, to grieve with some of these stories. Uh, We want to continue to do this, obviously, outside of this time. And so let's do that. But I do want to just give some guidelines of how we can move forward as a community. Uh, First of all, uh, because someone came up here to share, that does not give us the right to give them advice. Right? so don't think because someone shared something, you can now go and be their therapist. No, <laughs> they were vulnerable, they shared we hold that sacredly with and, and carefully, and we always get permission here at ethnos to say anything, okay we get permission so, okay we were, we're on the same page there, right okay number two um We should, though, say thank you. We should go up and ask for permission. I mean, this is we're meant to carry each other's burdens, right? So don't be afraid to, but don't be forceful. Get permission, all those things. But do take initiative. Let's keep caring for each other, all right? Well, let me just say uh, one more prayer for us uh, to wrap up uh, this amazing morning. Um, And, yeah, let's take it away from here, all right? Well, God, we are at the end of this... Not just unique day, but this unique season, this summer season. And like our brothers and sisters have shared, man, a lot has happened in this season. There are plenty of stories that haven't been shared yet, too. And so we know a lot is happening in our community, in our city. Would you continue to help us at Ethnos to be a safe space and a helpful space for our city to bear each other's burdens, to rejoice together, to mourn together, to walk forward in the transformation, the holistic well-being that you have for us. Thank you so much. Be with us the rest of today. and It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.